1: Today is Thursday, June 17th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 413 featuring longtime NBA writer Steve Bulpett from the Boston Herald, and of course, a man who has done a tremendous job covering the C's over the years. This show powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Another new edition of Celtics Beat, and we are continuing on with uh, what really has been just a, uh, an astounding, a fun run of just supreme guest after supreme guest. I am Adam Kaufman. Of course, you're tired of, of me. You're used to me. Evan Valenti, no disrespect to him, the same deal. But we bring in a guy who's a friend of this show and, of course, uh, if anyone has had the inside track on the Celtics and blowing up Danny Ainge's phone and so on and so forth over the years, is none other than Steve Bulpet. Welcome back to the program.
0: Thanks. Good to speak
1: with you. It's good to have you here, Steve. Now, uh, obviously, we, we talked to you, uh, I don't know, a few months back, whatever it was, and great conversation about things that were happening with the Celtics at the time. As we know, much has changed since then with uh, a transformation. Of course, Brad Stevens no longer being the head coach, being elevated to the president of basketball operations. Danny Ainge is uh, exploring retirement. I mean, he's no longer with the C's short of the transition, helping Brad along. Eventually, maybe he'll find his way somewhere else. What I'm wondering, because like I said, I mean, it's you have often been credited with being the, you know, kind of the the inside man, the guy that knows things before other people knows things with regard to Danny Ainge. Uh, since you know obviously you're not day-to-day actively reporting right now as you did for so long how long were you sitting on this how long did you know this and you just didn't put it out there oh for years
0: (laughs) i I knew he was going to retire at some point no no i mean uh you know i haven't had real contact with danny you know um i occasionally get a a a golf text from him or something (laughs) but um no this was not something that uh that was out there i don't think um yeah it came out of left field and um you know danny stepping down and brad moving up both um parts of that equation i think were surprising to
1: most the latter part of that obviously brad being elevated because i think Generally speaking, like you knew it was coming, like you said, I mean, Danny was going to retire at some point. And obviously the health concerns in the past, I don't think a lot of people were floored by Danny stepping aside. But obviously, Brad going from head coach, which is something he had never done at the NBA level before he got to Boston, to Pobo, which is something he's never done anywhere. I mean, he recruited at Butler, but that's worlds different than effectively running an NBA organization. How much did that, you know, as you said, come out of left field for you? And how do you think he's going to do with the job? Well, yeah,
0: I think it was surprising. I, I, I think, along with a lot of people, picture Brad as a coach. And I, I find it hard to believe that, that he doesn't find his way back to a bench. I can't picture him not coaching again. So, um, um, you know, that, that part was a surprise. As far as, you know, the difference between college and pro running a, 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 a program – I mean, at certain schools in the NCAA. The only difference is the uh, the salary cap's a lot looser. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if just looking at Brad the person and how he approaches work, then you'd have to think that that it's likely he's he's not going to leave any stone unturned. So um, you know, I would expect. I guess you would think that his chances for for success in a new role would have to be pretty good just because of the way he's going to approach things. And he's he's not one of those guys that – I've always said the best thing you could say about Ainge in running the operation was he never did his job to keep his job. And I know I've written that a bunch of times. But you look, at around, look around the league – at GMs from other teams and you know that they're worried about whether they're going to keep their job or not. And sometimes that, that paralyzes teams. You know, if, if I, if I make a move and it doesn't work out, then it's my fault. If I don't make a move and we continue to stink, we can blame the coach. You know, there's stuff like that happens and you see GMs get very defensive about stuff. Um, I mean, if you'd have told Ainge four or five years ago, hey, uh, you're fired, he would have said, yeah, bummer. Now I've got to go back and, you know, um, spend more time with family, which is, you know, not just a cliche. Whatever money that he would lose in in that equation, uh, he could more than make up, you know, taking money off of Bruce Hurst on the golf course.
1: Not to mention find another job running a team if he wanted to at the time. Heck, if he wanted to right now, I'm sure he could find that job. But mm-hmm. I guess there's, if there's one thing about Brad, it's that he's – and there are so many great qualities about Brad. And, and this, quite frankly, is a very good quality about Brad. But you can look at it from a couple of different angles, which is that he's so methodical. He's so deliberate in his thought process, maybe in some ways a little slow to change, slow to evolve. I know it's frustrated people in terms of his work on the sidelines over the years. When it comes to running a team – you can't help but think about, and you could speak to this obviously better than Evan or I could, so I'm curious as to your thoughts. Right now, I mean, he's he's got a number of things to consider this offseason. Kemba Walker right there toward the top of that list, but number one, the top priority right now is finding a new head coach. This transition happened, which you know wasn't that long ago. There were a couple openings in the NBA. Now, there are six teams that knew, need new head coaches, and Quite frankly, it's possible that Milwaukee and Atlanta are going to get added to that list. So how deliberate does Brad have time to be or the organization have time to be in terms of a widespread search to nail that person?
0: Well, I don't don't think he's uh, dragging feet on this. I don't think that's a concern. I I think there's a very good chance that um, that the people that uh, some of the main people he's considering um, are currently working are currently busy with, uh, playoff games, et cetera. So, um, you know, uh, I think that plays into it. And as far as the Celtics, perhaps, I guess what you're alluding to would be missing out. You've got two guys, uh, under contract in their you know, all-stars in their, in their early twenties. Um, you know, if you're a coach, uh, or a coach, uh, who's, uh, in, uh, in desire uh, from, from other teams, that's a you feel the Celtics, that's a pretty good selling point. Um, a coach is going to want to go where he can succeed or she can succeed. Um, and the Celtics, for all their issues this past season, it, when you look around the league, and as much as you were frustrated by this season, look around the league and tell me how many other teams you'd rather be than the Boston Celtics. You know, there are some certainly, and there are some certainly in this moment, but when you look at the bigger picture, you step away and say, okay, yeah, maybe this team is that other team this season, you know, take a step back and look five years and tell me how many teams you'd rather be than the Celtics. And so I'm saying is that, whereas they've got work to do, um, and when people who follow the team, fans, et cetera, look at them, they see, you know, damn, it's not this, they're not this or that. But taking a step back, there's, uh, you know, they're, they're in a pretty good position relative to other
2: teams. The one thing, too, if you look at this particular group, um, you look at Celtics ownership, you look at, you know, what the front office might look like when they're done. You know, I think we all assume at this point that Zaren is probably going to get elevated to some some whatever status, and they'll you know we'll see what happens with Austin Ainge and the rest of the group. But the one thing I think, if you're an incoming coach or at least looking at the Celtics in terms of this could be my next job, there's a little loyalty factor here that I think that might play into this thing. Boston, their ownership group, and, and who they've been able to retain, that seems to be like they're they're pretty loyal, maybe to a fault you can maybe say that maybe they've put a lot of stock into Danny and letting him do his thing and being hands off which I think a lot of ownership groups sometimes you know they, they get in a little bit of a trouble with with you know meddling too much in the basketball operations side of things you can at least say this is a group that you know lets the people that they hire run the show and if you're an incoming you know head coach you look at you know Danny's been there for you know was there for a long time uh, Brad you know he just is elevated he's been there for a long time this is a job that maybe you'll be able to grow with. In addition to the fact that you've talked about, they have two young all-stars who are, you know, especially in Jason Tatum, who's you look at some other players on the league right now and you, you look at him and say, man, he's, he is one of like the few, very few guys. I would love to build a team around and have in my back pocket. Is there uh, a particular candidate that has been in discussion here, Steve, that you, you like, I mean, I, there are some guys that we know about, you know, the Sam Cassell's, the Chauncey Billups, you know, Kara Lawson, obviously, you know, formerly with the team, uh you know, the, the, uh, you know, uh choice, I, I don't know a lot about him. So I've been trying to, you know, peruse the internet a little bit, trying to find out more about him and his coaching style and where he's come from. And you find out the San Antonio tree is not too far away from him. Is there a favorite candidate that, that you've been able to kind of look at, look at the landscape and say, yeah, that's the guy. I think that makes the most sense for this Celtics team.
0: Well, there <sighs> there are some candidates like, like, uh, Emma Yudoka who I don't really know. Um, but there, are, but a lot of the other candidates I've, I've spoken to over the years, um, sometimes a lot. Um, so again, not knowing that like, there may be a Yudoka, maybe the guy that, that, uh, is in Brad's mind. Um, but the two people, again, not knowing everything here, to know there may be a better candidate than one of the two I'm going to mention. Um, but the two that I think if the Celtics came away with either of them, they'd be in a really good situation. Um, and Chauncey Billups would be one of them. Um, this, this is a thoughtful guy. This is a bright guy um, who understands the game and understands uh, perception and situations. Because let's face it, when you're the head coach and you're speaking every day, you know, sometimes the shoot around pregame, postgame, everything you say is going to get parsed in the media, by fans, talk radio, all that stuff. So uh, someone like uh, uh, Chauncey Billups, you know, uh, the, the gravitas that he has with his experience, I think he'd be a great choice. And I think he's a really hot candidate around the league. I think if he wants to be a head coach next season, he will be a head coach in the NBA. The other person that I I would put with uh, many of the similar qualities, and this would be a a going bold move, would be Carol Lawson. And that's not just from the conversations I've had with her. Um, I did a story about her when she first came in. Um, We were in, I remember talking to her in Las Vegas for some time. Uh, but I mentioned her name largely because and and assistant coaches can be kind of behind the scenes on NBA teams, even with the Celtics. Uh, A lot of teams don't allow their assistant coaches to speak with media on the record and things. So a lot of those coaches, assistant coaches are wary about, you know, chatting up media. Carradine wasn't like a, you know, Hey, how are you kind of person, but speaking with the players, about her, uh, she really impressed the players. And if you look, it's not necessarily right, but it's, it's the way it is. When you're a woman walking into one of these situations, you've got a, a, quote unquote burden of proof, uh, because you're coming into a field that has been dominated by men. Uh, but, uh, Carol Lawson with her basketball knowledge was, uh, very, very impressive. Um, and I think just the, the way the relationship she built with the players in terms of uh, their work and, and all those things and work while well, working with them, um, I think really uh, stuck out. Um, I think she'd be a great candidate uh, here or elsewhere. I'm uh, just If you're going to go with, a, with a, a woman in this situation, if you're going to be bold, which I think would be a really cool idea. Um, not just for like, Hey, look, we're being bold, but because they're qualified people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the Celtics, uh, Celtics history, this is a franchise. that's not been afraid to be bold. Um, you know, first all black starting five, uh, Bill Russell is coach, um, you know, and, and these things worked out pretty well. Um, but uh, Becky Hammond, you um, She's a, a, a real basketball person. Um, I remember her as a player and uh, her coach, uh, was Richie Atabato in WNBA. who was a friend of mine. And back when she was playing, he and I would be talking and he'd be raving about her. And, uh, you know, she, I know she'll get her opportunity at some point, And when she does, um, let me give you a little tip here. you know uh, I'm not sure if sports betting will be legal in Massachusetts or not, but it'll be I'm worth going, a flight hopefully. to Vegas and find out her team's total for the season and take the over
2: hmm.
1: you know to uh you know this as, as as well as anybody obviously having covered the league and 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 been a reliable voice in doing so in this team obviously for as long as you have been that there's a a a, a, bur- a beauty and a burden to obviously reporting, especially when it comes to others like us in the media or fans that are just trying to decipher what's true, what's not, what can you depend upon? Knowing this organization as you do, knowing this this ownership group as you do, you know, maybe even if there's any influence, knowing Danny Ainge as you do. The wild card here is this is Brad Stevens you know, decision that short of ownership, having to sign off on it, you know, he's going to pick this person. I'm assuming Wick and company are going to go along with it. And, you know, we don't know, obviously how Brad is going to think in this role, but there are all sorts of reports that have come out in the last week, two weeks, however long it's been at this point, Steve, that it's the Celtics top priority for its next head coach is this. Now it's, you know, being bold. It's a woman. It's, A black person it's a former player it's a current assistant it's you know whoever Jason Tatum wants it's like you name it obviously what do you believe this organization's priority is what is Brad Stevens looking for in his team's next head coach
0: well in terms of pressures and what you talked about I will say this about Brad um I think you'd sooner see him walk away from the situation than be pressured into doing something that he didn't want to do. Um, in the years I've known him, all I can tell you is he's been incredibly straight up when he got the job. Um, when, uh, we came to Boston and, uh, we met, I took him to lunch. The Herald took him to lunch. Um, and I think it was the cost of that lunch that really got me in trouble. No, um, <laughs> but we went to Union Oyster house and sat and, and had an ate And, you know, I figured I'd take him to the oldest restaurant like in America um, just to get him a feel for Boston. And the idea, we talked basketball for like a long time, you know, we're for better or for worse. I'm a basketball person. Um, I love the other sports. You give me uh, playoff hockey and I'm, you know, depressed that the Bruins didn't give me a longer playoff run that I could really get into and watch. Um, But uh, we sat and talked basketball. And uh, what was funny is that uh, um, Spider came in the restaurant with his wife away from us. I give him a wave and, um, and I said to him, I said to Brad, I said, by the way, that guy over there is more famous than you around the Celtics. (laughs) Yeah. What does he do? I go, well, during, uh, you know, the timeouts, he comes out with a mop. I mean, but he, look, Rudy Rudy Edwards was a basketball star in Boston. Okay. I mean, it was a star when he was a play, but I said, he comes out and everybody, you know, you know, yells for spider. And, um, you know, I go, and he's just, but I think what the story tells is that, there's stuff that's ingrained, there's stuff that stays. We're sitting in perhaps the oldest restaurant in America, stuff in Boston stays and, and carries on and carries meaning. And spider was as much part of the, the organization as anybody. And, um, you know, I, I think Brad understands stuff and it's just kind of, we've kind of gotten off the field here, but, um, he's, uh, he understands the, the Celtic situation and um, understands the obligations he has within it. He's not going to do anything that's going to hurt uh, or, you know, he's not going to do anything just to try to, you know, make himself look good. Sure. Um, he's um, He's got his head screwed on better than a lot of people, better than most people that I've seen in this game over the billion years that I've been around it.
1: So, what do you think, Brad? Knowing, obviously, like you said, you know, Brad is going to, he's, he's, it's his ammunition. He is, he's, he's going to hire who he thinks is best for the job. External noise be damned. Does he feel like, in just your estimation, I don't expect you to know, does he feel like what, what so many others have been saying, like what this team needs is, is a guy who's done it, is a guy who's been there. And I don't necessarily mean a, a retread head coach or just a, a guy who has head coaching experience like a Chauncey Billups, like a, a player, a guy who is, who's who's done everything with regard to playing was you know a high first-round pick, obviously, was a guy that needed multiple stops to really find his footing, was someone that became an all-star, an all-NBA guy, a champion, the best player on a championship team, a finals MVP, a potential Hall of Famer, but you know, well-traveled and a journeyman at the same time. Do they need a guy like that, a guy like Sam Cassell, uh, Carol Lawson, obviously a longtime successful player, someone who's been through the ringer versus someone like Brad who <clears throat> hasn't done it at a high level?
0: I think Brad is probably going to look for someone that's going to grab the player's attention. Um, you look back at this year, and you know I think I probably said it with you, and I know I've said it elsewhere, and I know I've tweeted about it, but um, the, the Celtics this, this season – I, I put this season on, and look, the injuries were clearly a factor. Not having your team together to be able to develop chemistry, and not just the chemistry getting along thing, which they did, uh, but the, the chemistry of playing together and, and playing instinctively together, you know, um, that was a huge factor. But I put this year, I, I don't look at this year as a Brad Stevens problem. Uh, I look at this, it's on them. They're the ones on the floor with the ability to fix things. Um, if you need a coach to be giving you a rah-rah speech every game, then as a player, you're are you really cut out for this if you need that cattle prod each game? Um, if you've got a coach who is – putting you in the right positions to succeed, not only for the, and you know that this works, not only for the team, but for your own individual interests as well. I mean, ball movement, players cutting to open things up for other people eventually benefits you too. Uh, You know, as great as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all these guys were this year individually, how much better would they be if they were just catching and finishing at the rim instead of having to drive through two people or three people or get up a a tough contested shot. So, you know, I I look at this as the players having to, you know, give it up and say, okay, I'm going to cut. And I know I'm not going to get the ball, but it's going to create movement in the defense. It's going to better benefit us in this possession. So I was, um, you know, thinking that this, is, this was their situation to deal with the players. Um, now, going forward, I would be willing to guarantee you that whoever the next coach is, uh, this team will get a bump next season because human nature, players know. I mean, you saw it in Atlanta. Lloyd Pierce was and is a good coach. Nate McMillan was a good coach, you know, when he was uh, let go in his previous stops. Mm -hmm. But they know when a coaching change happens, that if they play well coming out of that, that it'll be the credit will go to the new coach. And whatever happened before, even if it was their fault, will get blamed on the previous guy. So I would expect that the Celtics were going to get, you know, They're going to come out next year. Uh, Who knows what the roster will look like, et cetera. But the guys who were here, you know, I'm I'm kind of going off here, but the one other thing I want to get in, um, and, again, I've talked about this a bunch with people. You look at the defensive problems the Celtics had this year, and a lot of it, especially in NBA, is defensive scheme, is, you know, how do we rotate, when do we rotate, when we bring the double and that's stuff that's got to happen really in practice through reps, through repetition. You can have a film session, not the same. And this year, you know, limited preseason, almost negligible time to practice during the year. So that was going to be a problem. The proper scheme defensively and getting guys into the right spots was going to be something you had to overcome. Having said that, there is not an excuse for the Celtics not getting into the ball handler more, not being more aggressive on the ball handler, you know, guard your yard, get into the guy so that the opposition starts its offense later in the clock has less time to get you in scramble, get to get you running around. Um, And just be tougher that way. And that's, that's not only my opinion. You look at the, listen to the players during the year, and they admitted that. Evan Fournier, when he said after a game, you know, you know, there's a. Pro- I'm paraphrasing. He said, "You know, there's a problem when things improve for you dramatically, just because you tried harder." Yeah. I mean, you know, if that doesn't tell you, if that doesn't say, look, this was a player thing, and not a coaching thing, um, you know, I. There it is. I mean, and and I've, again, said before, it's not necessarily guys being jerks. I'm not, like, you know, ripping on these guys. Literally, uh, it's a case where things will be going poorly for the Celtics in a a situation, in a stretch of the game. And players will be like, you know, okay, things are going bad. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to make a play here
1: get to uh, a little you know plenty more obviously to get to here with Steve Bullpet real quick want to tell you about our sponsor bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action folks football of course is approaching you've got mandatory mini camps behind us now nba and nhl playoffs those are still going on of course major league baseball that's in full effect plenty of wagers available for you futures wagers and whatnot for baseball nba title odds it's interesting we'll get into this a little bit later on the nets plus 140 still the clear favorite the suns plus 225 those uh, both those teams and the Clippers as well, plus seven hundred behind them. All with question marks when it comes to the injury bug or even COVID at this point. Jazz are plus seven hundred. The Bucks plus eight hundred. We'll see how long they hang on. And uh, Celtics specific, new coach title odds uh, or next coach odds, I should say, Chauncey Billups, the guy we <coughs> talked about, plus four hundred. Carol Lawson plus six hundred. Even includes Jason Kidd. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place. With the best odds, it is free to sign up, folks. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action and do not forget to use that promo code: it is CLNS50 to receive a fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, the promo code CLNS50. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So, uh, Evan, I don't want people out there to think we've just had you muted this entire time. I'm sure there's plenty on your mind as well. What do you got?
2: Well, you know, we talk about. Players, right? And you're talking about uh, again. I, I was always maintaining it was really kind of a roster problem. Um, you know, when it comes to the the Celtics struggles this year, I've I've been pretty adamant about that. I mean, you can you can definitely throw some on the players too, just because. You know, I go back to that one quote of Brad, you know, on the sidelines audibly yelling on television, just like, cut. it's just a very loud move or like, I forget the exact quote, but like, it's not like Brad wasn't telling guys not to cut or telling guys to, you know, hold the ball for too long. Um, but I do think, you know, part of this is a roster construction problem. Um, you know, as, as much as people want to dump on the players, uh, a, a little bit, you know, when Jason Tatum's out there with, Grant Williams, Sammy Ogile, you know, Carson Edwards, you know, name the, name the list, right? Uh, it's, it's hard for him to, to get the kind of spacing that he needs to kind of go to work or a guy like Jalen Brown that needs the space that he needs to, to go to work or to kick it out to an open shooter or have, or have you. Um, but this, this, this team does have a roster problem. And, and what I've, you know, come to sort of think is you have Danny stocked this team with, young guys under the bench hoping for some improvement throughout the season and sometimes that works out you get Aaron Neesmith who couldn't play because he didn't know how to play NBA defense and 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 you know work with the Celtics rotations to start the year then by the end of the year he's shooting you know 40-50 percent from three giving them a ton of energy on both sides of the ball and 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 emerges as a real player for them you know Payne Pritchard from the jump was a really great you know find and and was a 40% three-point shooter and was one of the few guys that picked guys up full court. And as you mentioned, Steve, one of the few guys that really got into the chest of the ball handler or whoever his assignment was. So it was fun to watch that. But then at the end of the bench, you have guys that they've struck out on. I'm not willing to give up on Grant Williams yet. Um, there are some some days where he looks really great, some days where he has no clue. Uh, and there, they're, at the end of the bench, Taco Fall, Tremont Waters, Carson Edwards, um, it didn- doesn't really help you. You know, it, it, philosophically, you know, from a philosophy standpoint, sometimes you want to put, you know, vets down there because guys that know what they're doing and have been there, done that sort of thing. And I think there might have been a, a a clash, if you will, in terms of what Brad is looking for in terms of, you know, guys to go to at the end of the bench. And I, and I looked at that saying, like, look, this is clearly a team that's very top heavy. You know, outside of Evan Fournier, that bench is really, really shallow. You know, Going forward here, I, do you think that's – a major priority for the Celtics is it a, is it a, not as a major priority as we think? You know what what is your outlook, Steve, in terms of roster movement? What the Celtics have to prioritize this offseason? Well,
0: Well, first of all, I would look at this year um, in terms of the like you said roster construction, and okay, you've got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker. Those are your start. That's your starting five, and now. What's coming off your bench after that? Evan Fournier, uh, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, who was very good in terms of his role. Um, Tristan Thompson, who while not you know had an up and down season, is one of those veterans and a banger type of person. So, I guess what I'm I'm kind of challenging your your basic point, which is you know it wasn't bad. Um, you know, it's I never think. You yeah, right. really heard about the uh, the the Romeo Langford situation really hurts you badly because he was a guy that while he hadn't played a ton, still had the experience of being around and knowing where he was supposed to be, um, and you can see what he that he can do some things while healthy and defensively, he was one of those kind of guys that Brad was really kind of like, you know, I, I'm sure. Um, you know, uh, I wasn't there, but I'm sure when Brad heard about like Romeo coming back from the wrist surgery and then getting COVID, uh, I'm sure that Brad's pillow took a pounding. You know, uh, there are probably a couple of tears on it as well. Um, but <laughs> okay. so you look at that, and, and then, but talking about the end of the roster, look at the, I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, Taco, he's a two way player, you know? Yeah, there's some guys at the end of the roster that, you know, I've seen them enough and I don't think they're, they, they're you know, they should be around necessarily. But you look at the end of any roster. I mean, go around the league, you know, to pick up the playoff teams right now and go to the end of their roster and see how many names you haven't even heard of. You know, I mean, it's like, whoa, this guy's in the NBA. Um, you know, so there's that too. Um, having said that, I do think there are opportunities that the Celtics have had over the years to pick up a veteran guy um, and and haven't. So, but uh, I, I know a year before this, last year, yeah, um, I remember talking with Age and saying, you know, Jamal Crawford, this is a no-brainer. You need to pick this guy up. You know, he's not only a, a guy that can come in the game, get hot, and give you a bunch of points, but he's also one of the elite, uh, leadership, uh, locker room, uh, helping guys along people that's the game has ever, ever seen. Um, and the response basically was that he wouldn't get enough minutes to, um, to make it worthwhile. And, you know, um, we agreed to disagree. Uh, and I actually, I didn't even get a vote on that. Um, uh, (laughs) Do you believe that? You know,
2: ridiculous. You think,
0: the roster is like, give me a healthy roster and, you know, and then fill guys in, you know what I mean? They've had guys look at uh, – and everything is context, right? Um, how good is a guy? Who's he on the floor? Yeah, it's probably time to move on from Shemmy Ojale. But I will say this. Uh, offensively, he was parked in a corner, right? And the idea was he's there to spread the floor. Now, if the ball's moving and he's getting touches and the ball's, you know, then he's involved. He's in rhythm. But when he's standing in the corner waiting and he hasn't touched the ball for three possessions and all of a sudden it gets tossed to him in the corner and he's got room to shoot, the closeout coming to him is slow. Is he in rhythm to shoot? I mean, you know, have you – have you not decreased the odds of that shot going in, you know, when he hasn't, uh, you know, that there's got to be something that, that'll, you know, that's, that plays into it as well. And Ojala is the kind of guy that, that would be a cutter too. Look, let's go back to last year's team. Um, Gordon Hayward, people were kind of cracking on him because he's making a lot of money and he's not scoring a billion points. But if you look at his numbers, uh, versus with his usage rate,
1: he
0: mm-hmm. was incredible. And not only that, but he was a guy that the ball moved. He was going to make the right play. He was going to keep the ball moving. I've got it in my hands. I'm not going to leave it here. It's going to move. And even if, you know, it's just to keep it moving, it takes the, the attention of the defense. They have to honor that cut. And, you know, you go back to a billion years ago. Larry Bird was a better shooter because he had a little extra space to shoot because his guy had to be wary about Kevin McHale in the post. Similarly, uh, Kevin McHale was better in the post because the guy guarding Larry, if they were on the same side of the floor, had to be slow to double down because uh, that's Larry Bird over there. Um, So, I mean, everything, you know, everything in context. I mean, Larry, the the, (laughs) – The Larry Bird-Dominique shootout in 88 happens at least in large part or at least in part because Kevin McHale had played on a broken foot in the 87 playoffs. And in the the days prior to that, he was the guy who guarded Dominique when the Celtics played the Hawks. Parrish guarded Kevin Willis. Larry guarded Tree Rollins, who was basically in the witness protection program as far as getting the ball for the Hawks. So, I mean, that all played into it. I mean, Larry Bird could roam and get steals. Now, if he's got to guard Dominique Moore, you know, that's different than Kevin McHale, you know, one of the league's better defenders. He was this, you know, Herman Munster guy with the arms out here. And, yeah. you know, so, I mean, I, I'm giving you like 80,000 word answers to a, a question. The well, it's all connected. For, and, that,
2: that, and that's, it's not just one. And this is the thing that, you know, we had Grandi on months ago. You know, we've, you know, very various different points of this season have said it. It's like what's so frustrating about the 2020-2021 Celtics team is it's just it's not just one thing. It's, a, it's if you, you have to really sit back and look at the entire picture. There are times you can blame Brad Stevens. There are times you can blame Danny Ainge. And there are times you can blame the players on the floor. Like as much as people want to throw shade at Brad, Brad's not on the floor shooting. Neither is Danny Ainge. Right? The guys, the guys on the floor, they're the guys that are supposed to execute the game plan, so to speak. So I think your more elaborate point here is a lot of times when there are problems in the NBA franchise, or when a team underachieves like the Celtics do because they have so much talent. There's, and you look at the playoffs right now and everybody's hurt. You're like, OK, you know, maybe the healthiest team at the end of 2021 is who's going to win this whole thing. But it is, a, it is not just one singular problem. This was a multi-tiered problem that is, you know, at the end of the day, complicated by the fact that there is all these COVID problems. You know, Boston had, in addition to being the most impacted team by COVID throughout the entire season, you know, they had Kemba Walker only for half the season. Romeo Langford, as you mentioned, comes back from the wrist surgery and gets COVID. You know, Tristan Thompson in COVID protocol, Jason Tatum in COVID.
1: Fournier after the trade deadline.
2: You, you layer it all up and you get the perfect storm of 2020, 2021. And at the end of the day, when you, you look at basketball history, it's kind of like, yeah, no crap has happened to Boston. At the end, When you look at teams that are doing well, you have a, a cohesive five players on the floor with a distinct plan that, you know, has been, you know, hashed out throughout parts of the, the front office and in the coaching ranks. So it. Boston had a lot of problems this year because they never had any security. They never had any cohesion. They never had anything last for more than 10 days. So, you know, it's, it's, as a- and, and I, I get it. that people, you
0: know, they want to say, look well, who's at fault. They got to pick somebody, they got to pick something, you know, and it doesn't work that way. I, I go back and teach at my college for a week every year. Um, and I, and everybody there, it's because if you look at the people that are uh, being rewarded now in our business, uh, in the media business, it's pundits largely. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I said, well, first of all, you gotta, you gotta build up to the point where people give a crap about what your opinion is. I go, you know, look, I've been doing this for a billion years. And a lot of the time I'm not even that impressed with what I think. I don't think, you know, <laughs> I don't, a lot of times I don't want to know what I think, um, but it's but here's the thing if you're if you're doing what I tell is what I tell them if you're doing uh, sports talk radio or if you're writing a column which is what I basically was doing you know um, for a lot of time here if you're doing one of those two things you are allowed to give your opinion you owe it to the people who are listening to you who are reading you I mean they're taking time out of their day and and I never want it to be um, You know, I never wanted to to discount that that Mm -hmm. part of it. They're taking time out of their day to read you. They're taking time out of their day to listen to you. You owe it to them that your opinion be based on a true story. You know, talk to people. Mm -hmm. When I talk about Brad Stevens and what I think of him as a coach, yeah, part of that is what I see. What I see him during games, what I see him, the plays he's drawing up, what I see him rotation wise, what I get from talking to him about things, uh, about how he looks at things, but it's also from talking to other people around the league, talking to other coaches, and not just, hey, uh, I'm quoting you now. Tell me what you think about Brad Stevens, and you know Brad could be an axe murderer, and they're not going to say anything bad about him at that point, right? But I'm talking about having conversations with with a coach, you know, to the side. Uh, when we're not quoting here when we're not you know doing stuff and the regard in which brad stevens is held among his peers is incredible and there are i'll tell you this too there are coaches in this league who are like major famous coaches who, who do not have uh who you can easily not hard to find people uh, among their peers who just don't think much about them at all. You know, there are, yeah, there's a lot of that around too. So, um, yeah, people that, you know, are, are like big time quote unquote coaches that their peers, yeah, this guy really not much of a coach.
1: Although I, uh, it makes me think back to this is a few anyway. years ago. We've probably even talked about this, and, and I know it's come up on the show in general, but a few years back when uh Brad Stevens Celtics they had had a great year and it was you know relatively early on in his Boston tenure and everyone was looking at Brad as you know just the best thing since Popovich and and Phil Jackson and and Red and you and like he'd never won anything obviously maybe he maybe it had gone to a conference final at that point and gotten blown out by LeBron and the Cavs and that type of thing but uh people were saying you know there there was that big vote at the end of the year the the internal you know coaches voting for for coach of the year uh, among their peers and Brad very deserving of, of coach of the year that year, even though he didn't win it, but he didn't have a single vote among his peers. And everyone was just equating that to, you know, well, they, they think he's overrated or, Oh, they're jealous or, you know, it was all that. Uh, And then, you know, some of that stuff sort of dissipated and what never went away to your point is just how respected, obviously in general, as a person he's been across the industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, Those voting things are always really strange when it's uh, um, because a lot of, trust me, a lot of the people, um, you know, if they do a a vote among coaches, it's largely, I'd say, not the coaches themselves, the head coaches doing the voting. They say, yeah, yeah, have someone else do this, Um, which um, I don't know if you're going to bring up the uh, the Jason Tatum All-NBA thing. Yeah, that was coming next. Look at that! Yeah, I'll, I'll let you ask the question because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cut off your well,
2: time here.
0: I guess my might, question might be would... getting paid by the word, and I don't want to screw you over. On this. No, <laughs> my question no, is: good.
2: you've you've had a, a vote for the All NBA teams in the past, correct? We, I would assume so.
0: I stopped voting for uh, the NBA awards
2: many many years ago. But you've done it, right? So you know the the process and sure how so how much. You know, you hear Bill Simmons talk about it constantly. I take my vote seriously. It's like, well, I hope you do, right? Because there are guys that have actual you know, money. I'm like, can you just take us through the process that you would do to culminate, you know, to, to get all the information you would need to make what you thought was the right decision on these All-NBA awards? I know it's, it must be a little stressful considering, you know, the, the outcomes actually have some financial bearing on some of these guys.
0: Well, you just uh, encapsulated the reason why I stopped doing it. I don't think it's ethical for uh, the for media people to have a a direct uh, impact on the income of the people they're covering. I, don't, I just don't think that's ethical at all. And uh, mm-hmm. I've, I'm vice president of the PBWA, the Professional Basketball Writers Association. I I think it's I think we should run from that. Um, when back when I did vote. Yeah, of course we took it seriously. And here's the other thing, too, is that uh, um, your name gets attached to your votes. Mm-hmm. So if, if you vote, um, if you cover the Celtics and you have a vote for MVP, and if Taco gets a first-place vote for MVP, we know who you are. Um, you know, and so trust me, I mean – Look, Gary Washburn's a, a friend of mine, and uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, it was actually a Jeopardy question. Jerry <laughs> Washburn got mentioned on Jeopardy. Um, uh, he was the only person who didn't vote for LeBron James for MVP, uh, didn't give him a first place. Vote. People knew about that, so yeah, you take your votes. You know, people take their votes seriously. Um, when you look at at when you know. I've always looked at it like, again, number one, not ethical. Number two, we should sit back, let the players vote on these awards, and then, you know, look at all the really cool, fun columns we'd have to write when they screw it up, okay? I mean, because, you know, it's what happens. Um, the, The players may know the game and the ins and outs better, but they don't pay attention, I don't think, to – there are some players who are totally into watching all kinds of games. You know, like there. I remember uh, a year before last uh, – or Kemba's first year here, um, John Morant was coming into town as a rookie. And I, uh, I go, do you feel like an old gunfighter, you know, and there's a new, you know, guy coming into town to, to test you almost every night. Mm-hmm. And he went on and on about, yeah, I watch these guys all the time. You know, I'm, I'm studying them, but I'm, I'm watching them. I think it's cool. And, you know uh, but there's a lot of guys that, that they're in their own sphere and, you know, more power to them. You know, they don't have to be they, there. They're focused on their job, which is cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think it's wrong that the that media votes on it, but I think that the, that the media um, has, as much as it's put out there that, oh, they're not going to vote for somebody they don't like or something like that, these votes are public. Um, You know, you do see some screwy votes out there. And sometimes, and and luckily we don't see that if there are Boston people involved, but sometimes the broadcasters in different cities who are, uh, if not hired by the team directly, the team has right of refusal over that person. So, you know, you've seen some some strange votes over the years, but I think that the media is probably best equipped uh, to get it right. And even to argue the issues, Um, you know, like this year, did a guy play enough games to get, you know, mentioned or to get Mm -hmm. voted on? Did, you know, Kevin Durant, did he play enough or didn't he play enough? And, you know, so there's that. Hopefully that encompasses what, you know, the overall question. But.
1: We've already bugged you for an hour here, obviously. Uh certainly I I I could ask you a couple more questions, but would you rather cap it there?
0: Whatever, dude. I you know, uh there's four miles out there waiting for me to run and the <laughs> the uh the the less time my knees
1: are gonna have to yell at me. I'll ask you two more and you can decide how quick you wanna be with them then. We'll we'll do it that way. Uh on that. See ya. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you can uh to whatever degree, I guess you can take us behind the curtain and, and I'm making it about the Celtics, but it's not about the Celtics. It's not about Wix specifically and, and ownership there. Just a, a team's mentality. Jason Tatum, obviously, in being an all-NBA snub, loses out on up to $32 million. Any team wants to have a player who's all-NBA, but that being said, when when there's that kind of trigger within a contract, behind the scenes, is a team not that devastated that they're not having to pay that extra $32 million? Um, I would just, you know, again, uh, leaning on human nature,
0: um, you'd have to think there's some of that and, but that's, that gets into the thing of, you know, if you have GMs vote on stuff, then, then a GM, like the, the, you know, GM that is a a Celtic competitor is going to say, oh yeah, we want Jason Tatum there because that's going to bollocks up their, their payroll. Um, so, yeah, I, I would assume that there is, you know um, – but, look, the selling a situation where – and they're very fortunate. And, I, you know, I think this kind of goes to something where people in, in the Boston area don't realize – Huh? like, you know, we're here in the wintertime. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. I want to go to Florida. I want to go here. I want to go there. And it just, you know, I can't, I can't take another winter here and all this stuff. You go around the, the country and even parts of, you know, where I've traveled you know uh, outside of the country, people, you mentioned Boston and it's like, oh, I love Boston. You know, I've been there. I want to go back or, you know, or I haven't been, or I've got to go there. I really want to go there. People, you know, appreciate, Boston outside. And maybe that's just, again, human nature. You kind of, you know, uh, it's hard to appreciate what you live with every day. Sometimes you sometimes take things for granted, mm-hmm. but in terms of basketball, which I, I think is why we're here um,
1: as <laughs> best we know.
0: Yeah. Um, the Celtics are in a situation are in a, a very fortunate situation that a lot of other places are, are not the Celtics can take their time with a coach, you know, Indiana, uh, one and done for, for Uh New Orleans, one and done for Stan Van Gundy. There are places where um, the franchise's health plays into decisions that get made about payroll, about coaching. But the, I think one of the best things you can do as a franchise is put people in place that are good people. You know, if you find someone that can't do their job properly, yeah, sure, get rid of them. But if you've got good people there, leave them there and let them do their job. It's like it's like a television show finding an audience. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you are going to change coaches, I mean, this is going to be the third coach in three years for Zion Williamson. Man's going to get whiplash. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if you you know if you got something that works, let it stay because then players get conditioned to, Hey, we got to solve this problem. You know, if, if you get a divorce every time someone drops a dish, you know, <laughs> are you ever going to work things out? You know um, you know, if, if someone's throwing the dish at your skull, then perhaps you <laughs> think things uh, but, you know, stick, stick with it, work it out. Um, and I think that that kind of stability plays really well for a franchise. The Celtics are in that position because even if the team is bad, they're still going to sell tickets. You know, some of the the biggest engagement I had with readers has been in the years when the Celtics have been really bad and fans still flock to, I like this guy or I like this guy here. I mean, you know, the, the bad teams, uh, players, uh, fans are still engaged with the Celtics. They still buy the tickets they still watch the games and that takes a load off the mind of an ownership uh if you're in a sacramento you've got to worry about hey if we have a down year am i going to lose you know a significant percentage of my season ticket base um so you can you can make financial uh, situation uh, decisions out of stability which is uh, a great benefit to the Celtics, you know, look, the ownership here has been solid and steady since it took over. Okay. Um, and, you know, you look around the league and how many other places, I mean, if Brad hadn't, if this move hadn't happened, <coughs> excuse me, he'd be one of the more tenured coaches in the NBA,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know? Um, and there's, that's important, you know, um, that kind of stability. I mean, look, if you look at where this team, you know, has the, the changes that have happened in the last few years, um, you know, you can look at a couple of events and you look at what age built. You, you mentioned that before. Evan. They had built a very I mean, the, the team that played uh, Milwaukee in that uh, in that series was a really, really talented team. Wasn't necessarily whole at that point, um, but you know, um, Al Horford leaves. Yeah. Okay. Because money, but also because he wanted to be, he wanted to play less center, play more power forward. And that didn't work out at all for him. Uh, but, you know, so he didn't leave because he didn't like, it wasn't because he didn't like Boston. Uh, but so he leaves for that situation where it's better, better money and all that. And then Kyrie, you know, um, <laughs> where, what do you, what the, what do you say on that? I mean, really? we'll just
2: throw your hands up in the air.
1: You yeah.
0: Insert shrug emoji here. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know but, but, but my God, is he a ridiculously talented player. Mm-hmm. Oh, Most my God. Good. I mean, remember when um, the Celtics drafted Jason Tatum. And uh, I was backstage at the draft in Brooklyn. And um, so I ran into uh, Jason's agent. And he mentioned, you know, uh, he mentioned Ky- uh, Kyrie in passing during our discussion. And because um, we were talking about, does he have anybody else that could be with the Celtics and, and Kyrie wasn't one of them, but he mentioned Kyrie in some other part of the conversation and the Celtics had just played the Cavs in the playoffs. And I remember the game that, that LeBron left because of foul trouble or something mm. and Kyrie just took over. And I just remember turning to the agent saying, and, and this is like, really professional, I go, you know, he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I go, whoa, is that guy good? Uh, but you had that kind of talent dream from, you know, say what you want about Al Horford now at his age, whatever, but if you had Al Horford and Kyrie Irving and uh, Gordon Hayward on a team, you know, with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, you're, you're going to Vegas and loading up. Right. I mean, you know, my God, it's a ridiculously talented team. Then you could have, you know, um, one of us could be the eighth man and we'd never see the floor, but sounds great. You could end up with jewelry,
1: you know, in the corner, last one for you. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let your knees go suffer with the run here, but uh, just, and you could spend forever on this one. It's, it's such a wide ranging kind of question, but I guess to drill it down, The playoffs in general, like you, I mean, we wish we had a longer sustained run by the Bruins to keep us entertained. We didn't expect it for the Celtics, but the teams that are playing right now, LeBron James is out there doing the I told you so stuff like this was what was going to happen, all the injuries and everything like that. You can't look at a team, a true contender and not find a problem, whether it's obviously Brooklyn with. You know Kyrie's uncertainty. Harden was effectively a, a forty-minute decoy the other night. You know Durant had to take over. You have the Embiid, quest, Kawhi there with the Clippers, Jazz to a lesser degree. Conley, Chris Paul now with the COVID situation. The list goes on. I'm not saying any of that is good for the league. It's not. But just as a fan, do you like? Do you? It's certainly unique. Do you enjoy just watching a postseason where because of all of this. There isn't that clear runaway contender, that clear favor that's like, of course, they're going to win the title. We don't have a clue who's going to win the championship right now because any team that you feel strongly about comes with that if they stay healthy caveat.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, look, just let's just take last night. Um, watching, you know, I've got I'm, I'm watching Red Sox. I, my my remote control. Um, has, uh, I had to put it in concussion protocol because um, I'm switching back and forth and I'm DVRing the basketball game in case I want to go back over it. But, man, I mean, they're doing drama without a script. You know, that's, that's what sports at its best is. You know, the Celtics and Lakers in the 80s, they were doing Shakespeare, you know, uh, improv. I mean, I've always said that. And that's why people will tune in. They don't know, you know. I'm pretty sure by now I know how Wizard of Oz ends. (laughs) Um, But, you know, see, you have to watch that stuff. As far as the injuries go, yeah, that takes away that you're not seeing all the best players. But, you know, did you watch the Utah Clippers game last night? I mean, that was wild. Mm -hmm. You know, the ebbs and flows of that game. And Kawhi Leonard's not playing. And, you know, the much maligned Paul George goes off you know, Marcus Morris, you know, old friend, uh, you know, this guy is stepping up and playing big minutes. You got to watch because you're, you know, I think I tweeted out like, you know, why do you watch when a team is, you know, uh, seemingly out of it and, and it's not a team that you follow because basketball. Yeah. That's why, you know, stuff's going to happen, you know? Um, so, you know, I, but as far as LeBron's argument about that he saw this coming, I, I won't deny that he's cor- – he, he can be correct. But I will say this, uh, and um, do we have something we can put up? That, this is the get off my lawn moment. <laughs> sure.
2: Okay. Yo, we'll photoshop uh, we'll, we'll shop in here. It'll be great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to be talking to an empty chair anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. I, I might, Good. but in that case there, you know, call someone for me. just to, okay. <laughs> uh, But when the Lakers uh, won 33 straight, uh, and was it uh, 71-72? Um, that was at 71-72. That's right. Yeah. During that stretch of 33 straight wins, remember a couple of years ago when uh, the, the NBA came back from lockout and every team had to play three games in three nights, like once or twice or something. Mm. During that stretch where the Lakers won 33 straight games, they played three games in three days, four times <laughs> during that stretch. So 12 of those wins of those 33 wins were part of uh, three games in three nights. So That's obviously crazy. that the first one doesn't matter so much or the second, but the third one. So yep.
1: Thing. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that, I guess. Well, we'll leave it there with the show. I mean, so much obviously that we didn't even get into that. We'll have to. Uh... I just want to Tatum say, or... Tatum got robbed. That's all. I'm just. That's it. I'm, that's all I want to throw
2: out there, and then I'm done. Does that, We had even talk about the fact that Tatum got robbed. I, it's ridiculous, but hey, what are you going to do? Like we talk about names get attached to votes. Yeah, you know, uh, I I had a bone to pick with a particular uh, individual who had Jimmy Beller on the first team. Um. I, I just don't understand that at all at, at first team forward. But hey, you know Tatum got robbed, and he got robbed the thirty million, and that's that's ridiculous to me.
0: Well, um, so are, Evan, are you going to be uh, organizing the bake sale? For
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the thirty million dollar bake sale. We'll start with lemonade. We'll go up from there. Who's Give it the most expensive cars? lemonade you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, the DEA is going to want to check. <laughs> yeah yeah we get, we get a couple looks from a few people I, i'm sure yeah
0: when you see the breaking bad crew coming
2: over then <laughs> i think
1: it's probably time to, time to pack it. <laughs> yeah. another sequel to the movie uh all right well this show brought to you by betonline.ag go to betonline.ag today use the promo code clns 50 for a 50 percent sign up bonus as we always remind you way too late in the program uh, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff on iTunes, wherever you find your podcast. obviously. But Steve, it's, uh, always a tremendous pleasure having you on. And, uh, you know, we can get to maybe after a coaching hires made, we can get your analysis on that and, and then start to dissect the future of Kemba Walker and all that good stuff. All right, guys. All right. Steve Bullpet, Long of the Herald, doing a, a great job still, obviously very plugged in with the league and, uh, Evan Valenti. I'm Adam Kaufman. Thanks for being with us. Another selfish beat coming your way next week.